Hello and welcome back to the Quacked Out Podcast. I am Charlie Folkstead, joined by Reed Tingley on his like uh, string and can phone. How you doing, Reed? <laughs> I'm doing good. Uh, we've weathered through some technological difficulties this week uh, and made it out the other side. So these things happen when you live in hurricane territory. Um, <laughs> sure. You know, sometimes the entire infrastructure of your city collapses and you just kind of you kind of got to make do um nevertheless we're here to talk some ducks even on the bye week uh obviously episode a little later this week because i mean why not (laughs) (laughs) Um, the first thing i i think we really want to or kind of not the first thing the main thing we want to touch on in this episode uh just kind of answer some of your guys's questions go through the roster a little bit give our thoughts on uh, position by position, like not necessarily grades for each um, position group or player, but just kind of discuss how we feel about each of these spots. How can, you know, maybe target some things that uh, the Ducks specifically can do to get better moving forward at certain spots. Um, maybe talk about guys we want to see more of or less of or whatnot. Uh, we'll definitely sprinkle in some stuff about what Mario Cristobal has said, not just uh, today, but yesterday, uh, about injuries and about who he still wants to play and things of that nature. Um, <laughs> so yeah, before uh, we get to that, um, how you doing, man? How do you feel? Are you, are you still reeling from the loss? You know, I think that, uh, it, I definitely handle it a little bit different than I used to. Um, I think, I've gotten so into the weeds with this program now that I, I kind of see some of the warts and I, I understand why those games go awry. So I, I am up, I'm still upset by it and it definitely affects my mood for a while, but I also am less kind of confused. So I am less angry sometimes, I guess I would say. I used to rage a lot more when I was, when I was a young one. Oh, what about man. you? Yeah, in my in my younger years, I would just be completely off the grid from football content <laughs> a week at, week after a loss. Like I I physically couldn't bear to like uh, learn about anything. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I couldn't handle it. I remember when after Auburn uh, in the Natty. When I mean, I was, we were both pretty young at this point, but yeah all off season just couldn't couldn't could not deal with it i remember even sports center coming back on like in august and they're just doing previews of like defending champ auburn and stuff and i just couldn't even six (laughs) months later could not could not deal oh yeah i was the same way um just any football related content was completely out of the question uh when a loss rolled around, but no, we we're deep in it now. We don't really have a choice. We got to, <laughs> we got to brave our way through it. Uh, <laughs> at least it's, you know, one loss and not uh, a ton of losses. We'll knock on wood for that. Um, in the past, we've seen seasons derail by this point in the season. So, you know, it, it can always get worse. You can always lose a lot to Montana. Of, a lot of seasons. I do have to say, and, and we hit on this last episode as well, but, you know, we kind of talked about what were the expectations going into this season. A lot of people thought it was a loss at Ohio State and, and hoped we'd win after that. Um, and, you know, 
it's unfortunate given where we were just a week ago that we're sitting here with one loss. But in the grand scheme of things, you think about all the injuries and adversity this team's weathered and the fact that, you know, again, we had a nine win win total, mm -hmm. uh, according to Vegas heading into this year. I, I like to bring that up because those are the people who are wagering real money on it. You know, that's the that is the objective third party to turn to on these things in terms of what your your team's expectations should be. Yep. And I think it's fair to say Oregon has outpaced those so far. And ultimately, I mean, you know, going into this year and, and it was the same way with Auburn in 2019. Um, just thinking about where this Oregon program has been at for the past, you know, five years uh, and how badly I've wanted us just to get back to being nationally relevant, having mm -hmm. that single digit next to our name, being in a in a playoff discussion. And I think that ultimately you're sitting at number eight in the country heading into week seven with the easy game against Cal. Um, there are, you know, there are worse places that Oregon has been over the past six years. <laughs> oh, so <yeah. laughs> almost exclusively worse places. So I think there are a lot of problems to fix, but ultimately we, we should recognize the opportunity that this program still has and this team still has. Um, and that's why I'm excited to kind of go through this roster and just talk through, you know, what changes can be made to try to take advantage of, of the place that this team is still at. Totally agree. One more like large scale thing I want to throw in there. Um, we say at least we're not this a lot, at least we're not that a lot. Um, and it, it can get tiring to hear that over and over when you're still not meeting the standards that you personally have for a program. I would like you to look at a program like LSU, for instance. Mm. Mm -hmm. A couple of years ago, you would have given Ed Orgeron a lifetime fucking contract at LSU when he had yeah. that Burrow team. And now he's got one foot out the door already. So this, this stuff changes really quickly in college football. Obviously, maybe a little quicker down, down south when there's so much pressure. Um, but we should be putting that kind of pressure on this program. I'm not saying, like, I'm on the Mario hot seat train or anything like that. I, I think that's absolutely stupid. Um, just because we've literally never been at this level of recruiting before. And while I don't think that should be the only thing that, that keeps you around, I mean, shit, man. A few weeks ago, he won in the horseshoe. Uh, I think there are a lot of extenuating circumstances that played into the Stanford game, and we will be going through uh, each injury as best we can when we go through each of the position groups as well. So, shit, yeah, screw, not I, even LSU. Look at FSU, man. I mean, they can't even – I guess it's the wrong time to say it because they just got their first win, but I mean, they can't even field a competent team, dude. Well, I think that it, it's important to note in that discussion, though, Oregon is not LSU. Um, of course not. And the LSU, and honestly, I mean, I, I don't think that the move on from Orcheron is the wrong thing to do, but um, not that they've done it yet, but that looks like what's coming. But Oregon can't afford to move between coaches that recklessly. And we are not going to be the first option uh on the market, you know, when this job comes open, I think that it was kind of a rude awakening for Ducks fans. The last time we had that opening with Taggart 
you know, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't Jimbo Fisher who came to Oregon. It was the dude from South Florida. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this, this job is, is, you know, good. And we can, you know, if we get the right guy in here, we can field a really good program. And if we have some success over, you know, the coming decade, maybe the, the prestige associated with this job changes, but right now, you know, getting Lane Kiffin or something, um, (laughs) regardless of the cultural fit, which I think is bad. uh, I don't think, I think there's other programs he's going to go to before us. I, I don't even know if Oregon would lure him away from Ole Miss. Uh, yeah, not people to have to realize, a- like, I mean, Fentress loves to bring this up when he talks about Miami every time. But, I mean, as big a brand as, as Oregon is, you know, as recognizable as Oregon is, that does not make it a destination. Um, it might seem that way just because of how well we're recruiting and of what Mario's building here. Uh, but in terms of coaches, that's a totally different story. I mean, it is <laughs> – it's not the flashiest lifestyle in Eugene uh, and not that flashy lifestyle is what makes something a good job or not. I mean, again, Tuscaloosa is, you know, the pinnacle of college, football, the center of college football right now, but you know, down South, you have a different culture. It is more important. It's a way of life uh, being yeah. a football coach and being the leader of a program. So all that to say, uh, I'm glad we have Mario and I would like for him to stick around. Yeah. I think, you know, we're going to dig into this roster in just a second here, but I just want to preface it with that point that I think as frustrating as it is for some people that we aren't, you know, playing all the young guys yet and that we haven't been as dominant as people envisioned. We might with Mario after these, they see those flashy recruiting classes come in. Ultimately this stuff does take time. Um, and you know, I've said this before, but Mario brought in his first real class in 2019, save for basically, you know, the other prospect we know is Penne Sewell in 18. I mean, that was the first real Cristobal guy that was brought into the program. Mm -hmm. And in part because of, you know, skill and in his evaluation and development, he became a generational talent, but also just in part because of luck um yeah and i think that skewed expectations a little bit that 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 guy came in immediately and that was chris ball's guy 1000 mm-hmm. percent, and he ended up being you know one of the best players in that entire class um and now you know we haven't had another penne sewell come through here uh <laughs> and that's because those guys are really rare first of all but it's also because Cristobal's guys aren't that old yet, really. Um, you know, it's it's still that junior third year class um, with Kayvon and Mikhail Wright and Mace Funa and, and those guys that were the last elite ones um, mm-hmm. or the first elite ones that came in. And obviously they had the shortened season last year with COVID. And then another thing with this quarterback room um, that, you know, people are going to complain about and and I agree it's not to the standard and we had a quote from Chris Ball today that we'll have to get into but look the fact of the matter is Oregon missed on quarterback in the 2019 class they picked up Kale Millen and 
you know, no disrespect there, but he wasn't to the standard of, of the quarterback that Oregon wants to start for this program going forward. He ends up transferring out. And now you have a hole that you have to go out and fill with the graduate transfer, unfortunately, because behind that you have two, four stars in Ty Thompson and Robbie Ashford who came in in 2020. So again, this is their second year and they didn't have any off season going into their freshman season. So sometimes those guys aren't ready yet. And the same is true of Ty Thompson, who's a true freshman um, and top 40 quarterback alpha dog at the elite 11, according to two, four, seven sports. These are in terms of bringing in talent to your quarterback room. If you're not Alabama or Ohio state, we're doing it as well as anyone in these past two cycles. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's going to take time to get that guy to be a starter. And I think that I'm just trying to preach a little bit of patience to the fan base before we, you know, bring out the, the torches and pitchforks and March Mario out of here. Cause I want to see what the roster looks like with his guys actually on it. And as we're about to get into, we're going to talk about, you know, what is this roster right now? Who's starting and which of these guys are actually, you know, to the standard that Chris Ball is trying to build this program and which of these guys are still kind of holdovers from past staffs. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So let's do it then. Uh, Let's get right in. I think we should start in the most obvious place, most important position on the field. Uh, The one that we've already had the most consternation about this season. Is that a word? Am I using that correctly? Either way, it's quarterback, Anthony Brown. We've kind of we've kind of given our two cents on this uh, in the recap episode, but since you don't want to go back and listen to it then, um, I think we're both okay f- with moving on from AB at this point. Uh, Mario yeah. seems to think differently, the quote being exactly what we had mentioned uh, post-game, which is that he gives us the best chance to win. Are you taking a firm stance on this? You still kind of in, I don't know. I feel like I'm still kind of in between, you know, it's really difficult because you have to see and you have to admit that like maybe if the, if the head coach is saying that this is the guy who gives you, gives you the best chance to win a game, it's really hard not to argue with that. If you're being real with yourself, Uh, Mario's not trying to play us. He's not trying to like mess with us. He wants what's best for the program as much as we do. Where do you stand on this quote and where do you stand on the depth chart? Yeah, so I have a lot of thoughts on this situation, obviously, because it, it is the biggest storyline around the program right now. Uh, the first thing that I feel and that I think all Ducks fans are feeling right now is Anthony Brown hasn't played to the standard that we want at quarterback for this team, for where this program wants to be. And he doesn't look like he's going to be able to reinvent himself to get to that standard. Now, he still could play well enough to win games like he did in Columbus. If he can replicate that type of performance, Oregon is going to be in a good position to you know, be in and be in control of every game left on their schedule in Pac-12 play. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's okay if Anthony Brown does go out there. And I think that fans might have to suck it up 
and support him if that's the case, which, you know, Cristobal seems to be suggesting it is. Now that said, what's the ideal scenario? Ideally, you know, Ty Thompson is Trevor Lawrence and he's ready to take the reins in week five and he balls out for the rest of the season and we show up to a national title game and he plays out of his mind and we win. Obviously, that that would be if he's that guy, then that would be ideal. We don't know if he's that guy in general. We certainly don't know if he's that guy right now. Uh, And there's reason to be skeptical that he is based on how, you know, the comments that have come out of practice and in particular, Cristobal today talking about the ability to operate an offense, to know you know, to, to communicate to the rest of the team, what is the play call, uh, make adjustments to pass protection, um, know how to make your progression through your reads. These are things that obviously you get better at once you're in the pro in a, in a, uh, power five program for six years, which we all know Anthony Brown has been compared to a year and a half or, less than that uh half a year for the rest of the quarterback room Mm -hmm. so long story short ideally ty thompson or even if it's jay butterfield or robbie ashford i don't want to discount those guys but ty's the main guy that people are talking about you know ideally if they're ready then you give them the keys of this thing and they take this offense to the next level because they're able to complete deep passes But again, if they, you know, even though they have arm talent, if they can't read a defense and operate, you know, this offense to an effective level, they're going to become turnover machines and they're going to shoot us in the foot in games that we otherwise could have just controlled by leading on our talent advantage everywhere else on the roster. And I, you know, winning games this year does matter we're in a position where a Pac-12 title is still very much um, a possibility, but it's in jeopardy right now. And we need a a player that can win games for us. You know, ultimately if Anthony Brown's that guy, then I think that's who we have to go with. Um, Yeah. So that's where I'm at. Yeah. And this all, again, it loops back to um, in a weird way, the playoff and what we've discussed many, many times about expansion or not expansion um, for, for worse in a lot of Oregon fans heads, the upshot is the playoff and is a national title every year. Um, mm-hmm. And the one loss now kind of shifts that for people like, mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden, like you might look at whatever probability and think that, Oh, we don't have a shot at the playoff. Well, I, I mean, again, it's a very, very high possibility that Ty Thompson gets thrown out there and sucks. It, it's an okay possibility. That doesn't mean he'll suck forever. Yeah. doesn't mean he'll suck next year if he plays next year. But I think, uh, I mean, I saw a good point. I think it was Key on the timeline the other day said, like, would you rather have his debut be at home against Cal or uh, in the – in Atlanta against Georgia to open the season next year. Cause like, right. I mean, I, I guess playing this 
you know, a Pac-12 slate is like a baptism by fire. But, I mean, playing against Georgia is a baptism by fire. Like, this yeah. is why I'm in the in – the, like, that's, that's the type of game where if you have bad performance, it, it's not going to derail your career, but it can set you back a little bit playing against that. I mean, just look at DJ, right? Obviously, he didn't, he didn't make his debut against Georgia, but I think it's safe to say that it rattled him and he hasn't looked – Rattled that entire the rest of the year. Yeah, man. They, they're terrible. I was just looking. <laughs> I think they're like – I think Clemson's like 0-5. Oh yeah, they're 0-5 against the spread this year. Just putting that out there. Um, yeah, and, and just putting this – I mean – that's why ultimately, despite, you know, what I just said, and, and again, I'm, I'm someone who I like to deal in the nuances and the details of this decision and, and weigh out why it's one way or it could be the other, mm-hmm. given the fact that we don't have all of the information. Um, but, you know, overall, I still am. I would be most excited if Ty Thompson comes out there and plays versus oh, Cowboys. Yeah. And um, I do think that that would be best. But. You know, we don't know everything. Like I said, you look forward to what this team's path is, though, and you try to, you know, we we broke up this schedule going into the year. Okay, you have five weeks, get to the bye, then you have a seven-week conference slate. And now I think we're kind of seeing another division here where Oregon gets this bye. They're going to come back, play an easy Cal game. Then you have a big game circled versus UCLA. You really want to win that one. Um, and then (laughs) it's, and then it's an easy game versus Colorado. And then you get back into a, uh, four game kind of grind at the end of it against some teams that are good, but not great. Uh, or hungry. All those teams are going to be hungry. Yeah. 100%. Uh, that being Washington wazoo at Utah. And then, um, Oregon State. Yeah, I mean, yeah. again, our schedule the rest of the way kind of follows a formula of like formula of bad, uh, bad team at home, and then next week tough game on the road. I, I think it's pretty safe to say that's how it goes for the rest of the year. And then you got Oregon State at the end of it after Utah, yeah. which again is looking like a more and more dangerous game every week. Uh, so yeah. I want to kind of bring this back to the roster though. Um, again. Like the reason we're not having a, a concrete, like strong opinion, oh, it has to be Ty, or oh, we have to stick with Anthony, is because there's no value in doing that. <laughs> if you came here to hear that, you came to the wrong place. Like, I'm sorry. I, if you're coming to hear that, you came for like confirmation bias and just validation of what you already think. So, um, Again, you get no you get no points for successfully predicting that uh, Ty is going to be better or worse than AB, or that he will or won't start. So yeah, um, but and, again, time. And, go ahead. And, and last thing is just we can win games with both of these quarterbacks. I agree. We yes. won in Columbus with Anthony Brown, and I don't think I need to convince people about you know the the potential of Ty Thompson, um, but we're good enough to win games if we execute again, the Stanford game, you know, ended up not going well. Um, But ultimately we came out there, we came out flat. We basically spotted them 10 points um, and 
we didn't execute for a lot of reasons. And, and, you know, these aren't meant to be excuses, but factors in that are your starting centers out and your offensive coordinator is ruled out hours before the game. So then we kind of stepped up and we dominated for two quarters there. Um, I forget if I said this on the last pod, but 17, nothing from about five minutes in the second quarter left to, uh, to a little under three minutes left in the game. And I, I read somewhere today, I think in that span, we, we had 21 defensive plays and gave up like 16 yards or something like that. Yep. I want to credit yep. like 16 Kapita, yards I think, is where I saw that, but yeah. Um, yeah. So, and it easily could have been 24, nothing again, if Anthony Brown makes one miss, if Anthony Brown corrects one miss read on the goal line when he should have pitched to CJ and also just on Anthony Brown again I just have to say too we have a small sample size compared to practice right so Oregon fans have this idea that okay he missed these important reads this last week and the week before that so that means he's bad at reading the ball and he hasn't completed a deep pass yet so that means he never will right but what (laughs) the staff probably sees is okay he's about 90 plus percent in the read game right now his completion percentage right now is hovering at 50 percent but in practice it's more like 60 maybe and in practice he actually completes deep balls at let's say a 40 percent accuracy or something which again isn't great but that's why they think that okay if he can just get one in a game he'll settle in because yes he hasn't completed one yet but Mm -hmm. let's look back at the sample sizes we're dealing with here how many deep it is frustrating because we have seen him miss a deep pass to Devin Williams, what feels like a thousand times, but in reality, it's only been like five or 10, Oh, you know, 10, I think is our number. <laughs> 10. I mean, yeah. PFF has it. Uh, what is that? Total deep balls. Let me look at it real quick. Four for 15. And that's, that's just 20 plus yards. So. Right. Yeah. I mean, I agree. It's really tough to watch, but again, if you have any like beef with anyone in this situation, maybe it should be with Ty for not grabbing this position by the balls if it's so easy to take. So, yeah. Um, okay, let's let's move on. Thank you. I, I want to talk about receiver because uh, you mentioned okay. weapons, and this is a position group I really wanted to focus on um, mm-hmm. when I realized we were going to be doing this. Um, yes. This is the best wide receiver room Oregon has had possibly ever. And, of course, it is being underutilized just because of our limitations right now, quarterback. Maybe that's another reason for you to argue for Ty. Maybe that's a reason against Ty. Maybe, you know, for whatever reason. Um, We got the veterans mixed in with the younger guys with higher upside, it seems like. Uh, Of course, you've heard Micah Pittman and Jalen Redd and Johnny Johnson's names forever now. Uh, Mm -hmm. Franklin and Dante Thornton are the obvious, like, younger guys. Um, Devin Williams is always in the mix, but not quite wide receiver one for whatever reason. Again, this is probably something in practice that we're not seeing. Uh, but <laughs> I mean, plays, he seems to be pretty damn good when he gets thrown to. So I don't, yeah. I don't really know where to fall on that. So I guess my conclusion with this is I would love to see a lot more of Devin Williams. Um, I love Micah. I love Johnny Johnson. Give me more Troy Franklin, you know? That's yeah. all I really got to say. Maybe throw – like my ideal 
wide receiver trio if I was yeah. if I was king or whatever. Um, yes. Give me Franklin on one side. Give me Williams on the other side. Give me Pittman at slot, and let the you know let the veterans grind in their blocking schemes um, because they're yeah. really fucking good at it, and they're really good at catching passes too. Like, I mean, how many times have we seen Johnny Johnson just cook somebody? You know, he can yeah. get open. So I don't know where you stand on that. I don't know if maybe you have any like specific personnel decisions, but overall, I think it's safe to say that uh, we need, we need to get the ball out there more. Not that we need to see more from them. We need to get the ball out there more. Well, I think, I think I like the group that you selected a lot. I, I asked a question on Twitter, you know, basically asking for people's wide receiver t- trios. Um, and unsurprisingly, a lot of Devin Williams, a lot of Troy Franklin. Um, and I mean, those are our two highest upside receivers, uh, no doubt. I think, you know, what do you have to do here to manage the locker room? What do you have to do uh, just to make the offense work from a blocking perspective, as you mentioned? Um, These are things that, unfortunately, you have to deal with in real-life college football that you don't have to deal with when you're playing NCAA 14. Um, and so I'm, I think that given Johnny Johnson's role as a leader on this team, he's someone who probably needs a good amount of snaps. Um, I think that Jalen Red and Micah make a lot of sense splitting slot reps um, as they have been. And then I think, you know, I, I, this comes from a spot where I think that we do have to try to narrow down this wide receiver group a little bit, because the issue is that we have about eight guys who could have started on a lot of Oregon teams past, Mm -hmm. but we don't have the top ones. And maybe part of that reason is that our guys aren't getting in as much rhythm as they would if they had more consistent snaps out there. Um, so I think you got to go with Troy or Devin in there on almost on every snap. I feel like almost unless you unless it's a red play where you're just blocking. I think you have to have Troy Franklin or Devin Williams in there, um, or or maybe Dante Thornton's in that spot. But one of those high upside receivers who's just a special talent has to be out there if you're gonna give deference to the veteran and put Johnny Johnson on one side, you have to mix in the talent on the other. Um, So that's how I feel about it. I think it's a little bit of a mix and match. And unfortunately, you know, this is kind of a game of musical chairs where, where someone's going to get left out, you know, Chris Hudson, great wide receiver. I was going to ask where you fall. Well, yeah, I, I, I like him a lot. I would love to find snaps for him, but ultimately if we're just split throwing snaps around here and there, and none of our receivers are settling in, um, then, you know, I I don't need an 80% Chris Hudson and 80%, you know, Troy Franklin. I'd rather just have a hundred percent of one and say, sorry, you didn't make the cut, I guess. Uh, And maybe those roles are reversed, but 
some you heard it here first reed tingley wants to bench the freshman four-star wide receiver (laughs) somehow you've got to get the talent on the field though i think that wide receiver is one of those spots where i really want this team to be more dynamic because there's so much potential in this group um Mm -hmm. and you know it's qb11 who calls them the midget brigade uh, I think that refers to Johnny Johnson, Pittman, and Hudson, maybe, uh, or maybe Reds in there. Yeah, it's quite unclear. Yeah, I think it's basically anyone that's not Dante Thornton, Troy Franklin, and Devin Williams. Uh, yeah, which, which I've got to agree with. Ultimately, one at least one of those guys always has to be on the field if you're passing the ball. Is how I feel, unless there's something again that we. We aren't seeing in practice um, that's holding those guys back. They're just that talented where I think they really weren't inclusion in a game plan more uh, to a larger extent than what they've had so far. But I will also say that if Devin Williams, you know, has had caught two of those balls from Anthony Brown, um, then all of a sudden people's perception about Devin Williams not getting enough playing time probably changes a lot yeah i don't totally know, altered yeah I, I don't have the snap counts in front of me but we have seen a decent bit of devin williams i wish we'd seen more of franklin and thornton honestly it's been kind of disappointing that i felt like we saw more franklin early in the season uh than we have in recent weeks and oftentimes with personnel things if you don't see a guy and you're questioning why it has them something to do with them being nicked up. That That's not anything I know of, but I'm just saying that often has to do with these personnel uh, decisions. Mm-hmm. But regardless, there's got to be more production from the receiver room with how talented they are. Yeah. Um, um, for the record, Franklin, uh, six targets, five catches. Williams, nine targets, four catches. And obviously yeah. he missed the uh, Arizona game. Williams did. Yeah, I also want to just say, again, I want to keep this theme throughout. Who in this wide receiver room are crystal ball guys and who are holdovers? Jalen Red and Johnny Johnson, who are eating up a lot of snaps, are really not guys that crystal ball targeted and brought in. Um, Yeah, yeah, they were there before him. Exactly. Um, Devin Williams even technically, I guess you would say, is – he was part of that 2018 <laughs> class, a commit to Oregon, flipped to USC late, then transferred back to Oregon. Um, but you mean his Oregon situation State. is so weird. <laughs> right. Right. Then transferred back to Oregon State and then <laughs> took the, showed up at Oregon. Bar yeah. right over to Eugene. Um, Dante Thornton and Troy Franklin, those, that's the prototype for the type of receiver that. Cristobal is recruiting at Oregon. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, again, those guys are freshmen right now. So, unfortunately, what does that mean? That means we are a year to two away from the championship standard of Cristobal taking over the mantle as the full-time starting receivers. Yeah. That's just the reality of the situation right now. And you can complain that it hasn't happened fast enough, but those guys are in Eugene, 
in green and yellow jerseys. They're in the program. And whether it happens this year or it happens in a year or two, they're going to have a major role on this team. And Cristobal deserves credit for getting them. Uh, and based on what we've seen, I think that they're going to be really good players down the line. We have neglected to talk, or not neglected. Uh, we haven't talked about any injuries yet, mostly because there haven't been any in these last two position groups. Um, that is not the case when we talk about running back. Oh. Uh, obviously, it was pretty crushing to see the news that CJ Verdell is out for the season. Uh-huh. Um, considering the insanely positive career arc he's had, um, especially <laughs> comparing it to you know, the year he started against where he started against Stanford mm-hmm. and that ended getting the redemption against UW, et cetera, et cetera, coming back and getting injured this game, pretty tough. Um, but we do have a lot of stuff to talk about in terms of who replaces him. Obviously Travis Dye is pretty much the out and out starter at this point with Riddell being gone. Um, but we got at least, three bodies who were there behind him. Uh, obviously Sean Dollar is not being one of them. I think he would, he might be our first choice. Uh, yeah. Had he been healthy at time of recording, um, maybe back towards the end of the year, but again, remains to be seen. Verdell though, out for the year. Uh, so who read out of Trey Benson, Byron Cardwell and seven McGee would, do you kind of prefer as the de facto number two? I, obviously, Cristobal seems to prefer Cardwell, but we've seen Benson and McGee get some carries. McGee had that very important third down catch against Arizona. Um, where are you at with those three? Yeah, I think for me, if you're looking for a compliment to die, um, I really like Benson's game. I've been super high on him since he kind of uh, since he came to the program and. And he famously, well, not famously, I guess, but he was from a school in uh, Mississippi, kind of a lower division school there. But his high school tape is insane. That dude just was running through, albeit not the best competition, but um, he looked as impressive, you know, compared to those guys on the field as as any running back I've seen, really. Um, so I like Benson a lot. You know, that's who I would lean towards personally. Uh in part because he's a bigger back and he's been here By just that bit, year yeah. longer. Benson, um, Benson listed as 6'1", 215, Cardwell's six foot flat and 210 for the record. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, I'm very ready to be proven wrong by Cardwell. Uh, and I, I think that he can be a really good back too. Um Mm-hmm. unfortunately you know like we said he had what three carries or five carries on saturday uh i think it was three carries for five yards yeah his um, stats were very deflated um as opposed to inflated <laughs> based yeah on game state yeah right exactly so we didn't really get to see much um i'd like to see more there i think and then i think seven when we need him i think he's going to be a great option i think the way that we used him uh, versus Arizona getting that key first down is perfect. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think that he's going to pick up all of Verdell's carries, though. Um, and I don't think that Travis Dye is going to be able to do much more than he's already done. And he's done a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so credit to Dye. But I don't, 
don't think that we can lean on him to do much more than, than the big load that he's already carrying. I think that someone else has got to step up and, and take those carries um, that for Dell is dropping off. Yeah, I agree. Travis Dye um, played in all five games in the year, obviously much more on the undersized side than the guys we were just talking about. He's 5'10", 190. Um, you also got seven back there. And again, with your one-two punch, you classically want like a, a your, your speed back and your power back, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe not to the full extent of those terms, but you know what I mean. Um, yep. A speedier guy and a power, more powerful guy. Uh, so, yeah, yeah I, I think Benson is the answer there as well. Um, I would not and, be mad at seeing more Byron Cardwell carries. And, again, giving these young guys reps, especially the position like running back where, I mean, yeah, your youth can hurt you, but I feel like less so – your inexperience doesn't hurt you as much as maybe some other positions. Um I'm, this is how LaMichael broke out, is it not? This is yeah. how Kenyon did as well in that same season. So Yeah. Yeah, I would love hopefully, for – Hopefully we can replicate that, man. Yeah, dude, that would be pretty sweet, huh? And and obviously, again, for those keeping track at home, Travis Dye, not a crystal ball uh, pickup, right? But these yeah. three guys, is a chance to see what these three can do because these three are very much – uh, Cristobal guys, or at least master guys, who obviously you know is is Cristobal's choice at running back coach. Yeah, good good hashtag narrative there. I like it. <laughs> Got to keep us on track, you know. Got to keep both perspectives at once. Um, you want to go O line real quick or tight end first? I think that we should go to possibly the position group that fans of playing the young guys will support the most. Uh, tight end tight end yeah uh terrence ferguson which by the way um just someone just did a great feature for him in the emerald uh, i believe it was dylan conway shout out uh so go check that out it's on the internet you won't have your physical copy at Otson for obvious reasons uh, at least this week um terrence ferguson spencer webb still listed as a sophomore this is his fourth year here but obviously covid still lists him as pretty young Montevideo is the other young guy who's been getting a ton of reps. Um, DJ Johnson still in the mix, but considering the lack of depth on defense, he's been playing more defensive snaps. Uh, the two guys out, Patrick Herbert and Cam McCormick, Cam McCormick, both for the season. Pretty sad to see them, but we've we've talked about those. So it's pretty much these three guys, maybe three and a half if you want to count DJ Johnson. Um, mm-hmm. We said before the season that this was probably our deepest position group, top to bottom, and it's proving to be that way. Uh, I don't think either of us expected Ferguson or Matavao to get as many snaps as they've gotten, but shit. I mean, Maybe not this early, especially. Yeah, exactly, and they've gotten some pretty important targets early, too. Uh, Matavao gets the, I believe, what ended up being the game-winning touchdown grab in the shoe. Yeah. Um, Ferguson, despite a couple of drops, has had some pretty important targets as well. So and touchdowns so do you have a preference one over the other i feel like uh the snaps have been pretty evenly distributed between those two and honestly webb is kind of the third leg of that where where do you see like yeah i i, I see it the same way right now with ferguson and matzabao being those those leaders and webb being that third guy and then dj johnson situationally 
particularly when blocking is obviously, you know, the furthest along at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an interesting window, I think, though, into the philosophy of Cristobal in terms of roster management um, and personnel choices, because this is an area where he didn't defer to uh, the to Webb, you know, who has seniority. Mm-hmm. Um, he decided to go with the freshman. And I think that's because more than seniority, what Chris Ball values as an offensive lineman is blocking uh, and the ability to execute, you know, blocks and do the things that allow for, uh, you know, schematic mind like Moorhead to be able to drop a play and have it actually work as he designed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's a common thread in his choices at each of these positions and that's a conservative approach um but that's who Cristobal is if you didn't realize that he was more of a conservative offensive mind you know <laughs> I, I think we all did um but so so he's willing to do to play the young guys I think but he needs them to be able to execute at or above the level of the older group uh and I think that's been the story at tight end is that Ferguson and Matavau have done that. They put in the effort in the blocking game um, and the receiving game where those other guys, Webb, you know, especially has struggled as a blocker. And then DJ obviously isn't quite as developed as a receiver, but has also been taking on some impressive uh, duties on the defensive side as well. Um, but this yeah. has been a cool story for these young guys coming in. And again, these are both bona fide Cristobal, you know, uh, recruits. Yeah, definitely. The split so far, um, Webb has 10 targets for six catches. Matavajo, six targets, three catches. Ferguson, 14 targets, eight catches. Um, obviously, again, you got to add, you know, add some mental points on the Matavajo and Ferguson just because of what they've been doing in the run game. If I were to look up raw snaps, I'm almost positive that both of them are higher, uh, especially Ferguson. Um, And again, what's one of the most, if not the most consistent thing we see uh, when we watch QB 11 tape. I know, you know, Well, I don't know what it is. What are, what are you going to say? Dude, it's Spencer Webb just whiffing on run blocks. <laughs> That's more it's, harsh. It's like comical at this point. You're not wrong. Yeah, you're not wrong at all. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, he's such a big body. Hopefully he can improve on that. Um, love to see him incorporate that into his game more. But I agree he's not going to be getting many reps until that changes. So, especially in this offense. Um, You do bring up another question, though, and this might be a good one to talk about alongside offensive line as well. Regarding Cristobal, do you think he would be able or not able as much as willing to change his philosophy about that and maybe opening up the offense a little more just in general? Um, You know, I (laughs) please say yes. (laughs) I I hope that he would. well, here's what I, I I think that his issue is not with his offensive philosophy as much as it is with his personnel decisions. Hmm. Um, that's where he's proven to be conservative and 
you know, he held on to the reins maybe a bit longer than people wanted with Shuck. Again, we are seeing a common theme here where the fan base has some outrage about the starting quarterback and likes the backup. Uh, it, it, you might not believe yep. it, but that, that existed even when Herbert was our starter as well. Um, yeah, we literally did this last year, you guys, except you were arguing for the, the, the fifth-year senior at that point instead of the, yeah. the new guy. Um, but anyways, that's what I think the big issue is. Um, honestly, I was really relieved, and I think it was a huge turning point for the Oregon program when uh, Cristobal made the offensive coordinator hire of Joe yes. Moorhead. Yes. I was really worried that he was going to get a Marcus Arroyo 2.0, uh, maybe a John Donovan type uh, who would hire that guy. Right. Um, Nobody's smart, <laughs> but he got Moorhead and his, uh, the name's escaping me. Oh God. But his, it, I think his other top choice was the Fresno state head co- head coach. Now who's another really strong offensive mind. Kalen Carr. Uh, Kalen Carr. That sounds no, right, but I don't, I don't know. It's uh, this is horrible. Uh, one second, let me look it up. Stall <laughs> for a second. Oh, I was going to tell you to do that. Kalen DeBoer. Sorry. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Uh, anyways, those are two great choices. Uh, for OC and the fact that he's been able to hire at that position, and he's been a great hirer uh, of staff in general mm-hmm. um, and has moved on from guys that weren't good pretty fast as well so I think he turns over the keys to those guys and we've called good offensive games from a play calling perspective that hasn't been the issue mm-hmm. um, unfortunately if he holds on to the reins with Brown a little longer than people would like or the receiving core a little longer than people would like yes that's frustrating but ultimately it's a temporary problem that the mechanics of this sport are going to fix for us because Anthony Brown is going to graduate after the season as is Johnny Johnson and Jalen red. And eventually those young guys are going to be there, Uh, you know, heading into the Georgia game one way or another, Chris ball will not have a choice, but to start a young talented player uh, who is highly rated. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, there, you know. Well, I mean, won't... statistically speaking, if we keep loading the roster with strictly those players, then yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, it, it might be frustrating, and even if you think it's totally stupid, um, it, it's not going to be a long-term problem because those players are leaving the program. Period. Yeah. Um, Anyways, let's get into offensive line. And I think this is an area I especially want to highlight because so many fans think Chris Ball, his identity, offensive line, why isn't our offensive line absolutely elite? Um, you go through these guys. How many of these guys are Chris Ball guys? George Moore is not. Alex Forsyth is not. Ryan Walk is not. TJ Bass is a Juco transfer. So basically, I don't count him as one. He, he He's... Good, but is he like the championship level Cristobal in five years is going to be having a TJ Bass Juco transfer starting on the O-line? Probably not. 
And Stephen Jones and Malasala both are right there um, on the edge, but Chris Ball hasn't recruited to the maximum elite level on the offensive line really until this 2021 cycle. Um, so again, Jackson Powers Johnson actually played Saturday, played a really good game. Kingsley is going to get healthy. He's going to be really good. Um, Bram Walden, uh, I have a lot of optimism in. And then Kelvin Banks is stepping into the program uh, mm -hmm. next year. Uh, and he's a five-star. Um, those are four absolute dudes we've recruited on the offensive line. And those are the type of guys that factor into the recruiting rankings that everyone's seeing and catches their eye. And they say, okay, there's that number, number six in the country. Why is that not what we see on the offensive line? And it's because those players that make up that ranking aren't on the field yet. They mm -hmm. will be in two years, but they aren't there right now. Um, and so again, like you mentioned earlier, heightened expectations that. after the greatest O-line class in Oregon history walked through in right. 2019, 2020. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, for, oh, injuries on O-line. Forsyth. Yeah, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, I will. Forsyth uh, should be back soon, I believe, is the word on him. Um, obviously, he was a later scratch against Stanford, um, as was the uh, entire <laughs> offensive coordinator. Uh, Jonathan Dennis, I think, is out for the season. Um, he's one of the backup centers. Where'd my list go? Um, Kingsley and Dawson should be back for the Cal game. Again, not guys that always get snaps, but um, they're – Dawson especially has been in the mix uh, quite a bit so far. He's played mm -hmm. four games. So mm -hmm. interesting stuff. Um, like you say, I, I wonder if any of these quote unquote crystal ball guys get a little more PT down the yep. stretch. Um, I think that'll be a little bit more in the Ty Thompson vein of things. Um, especially if we get another loss, I think it's safe to say that we'll be seeing a lot more youth out there. Yeah, I think Jackson Powers Johnson has been the guy this class that has made a real impact and started to push himself into, like, you can't keep this guy off the field territory. Um, and I think that we'll start to see him rotate in at guard a bit more. Um, and outside of that, maybe Kingsley cracks it if he gets healthy. But ultimately... For this year, I think this offensive line more or less is what it is. And luckily, we have some depth on this unit where if some injury happened, like the Forsyth situation, we're able to recover from it pretty easily. Um, we have a good mix of depth and talent and uh, also experience some leadership that allows us to sustain that when you have a guy like Ryan Walk, who is so in this program that can step in the center um, like he did on Saturday, and, and that unit can end up being the reason we lost the game. But uh, long-term, it's a different outlook, right? Who's the long-term solution at center? It's Jackson Powers Johnson. Kingsley will, you know, if we're talking about like 2022 here, which I know, you know, 2022 or 2023 even, which people don't want to hear, but 
that group's going to be really good. You're going to have Jackson Powers Johnson. You're going to have Kingsley. You're going to have Bram Walden, probably. Kelvin Banks probably is a guy who's talented enough to play as a sophomore, if not maybe even a freshman, because he actually is a Penne Sewell, not mold, but is a legit like first-round offensive tackle potential. Um, and then other guys, you know, I like Harper and Dennis a lot. I think they could figure in at a guard spot. Uh, Big Feope, you know, could could get there. Um, Stephen Jones still has has some uh, eligibility, as does Dawson, who's still a freshman. Um, so there's a lot of options there long term that put this unit in a really good spot. And I think that's why I just you can't fire a coach when you're on an upward when you're a top eight team right now and you're on an upward trajectory still. I don't get the logic behind that, you know? Yeah. Um, those are, those are just the more like angry fans who only look at, those are the, ang- yeah. that's the Venn diagram of angry and uninformed fans um, <laughs> who will only, you know, look at things like game management as quote unquote, good coaching rather than right. development, um, consistency, winning in the horseshoe, things like that, you know? So, yeah. Okay. To, and- the issue with Cristobal's coaching, too, another quick tangent, quick tangent. Clock management, I think, and that stuff, I think, is super overblown. The thing we need to fix is coming out of games flat. That's the reason we yeah. lost a standard yeah. game, 100%. When you spot them 10 points, that was the issue. It wasn't that they had a timeout here or there, or we called the timeout on their last drive. The game, yeah, it wasn't the issue. But Yeah, I mean – regarding game management real quick uh what's one of the most stable coaches in the pac-12 right now i'll just say so you don't have to run through it david shaw you know who's a worse game manager than mario Cristobal? <laughs> <laughs> how yes. many how many times do you see nick saban managing a game and practicing his game management i'm sure he's pretty good at it but the moral of the story is he doesn't have to do it because his teams are always blowing people out by the time the game is over um and for a lot of mario's wins that that's what we do see and we don't even have to worry about clock management um a lot of times though it is it is the easiest hole to poke just because it's maybe the most infuriating but it's also the most direct i mean me and you know how to properly manage games because we played ncaa football for so long um, right and sat on our asses enough to to know yeah um okay let's go defensive line and I'm going to include the edge guys in defensive line. So, you know, we'll do yep. linebackers in a separate category, even though, yep. like, you could call Kayvon an outside linebacker this season. Um, first off, injuries. Uh, Braden Swinson done for an extended period. Or, no, sorry, he's coming no, back. No, no, he's Cal. back, yeah. Yeah. Yep, uh, he's back against Cal, which is a big deal. Yeah, Mathis out. Well, he's inside shit. I, I already screwed up my own process here. <laughs> um, Adrian Jackson will also be back for the Cal game. So that's really good to hear. Uh, <laughs> Swinson, again, I, I don't want to fall into the, the trap of heightened expectations way too early on. I mean, the guy played a little bit in 2020. Um, well, not a little. I mean, he played in every game. He didn't start in any game. But, yep. I mean, he had a monster game against Ohio State, relatively speaking, yep. Yep. with Kayvon being out. And I hope we just don't 
get a little too ahead of ourselves when we talk about Swinson. Um, I believe he could be, okay, maybe not Kayvon level. I, it, it's very hard to get to that level. Um, I believe he could make himself into an NFL level talent, but I think it's safe to say we still got some stuff to see before we, you know, get there. Um, yep. Where where do you fall on this like edge rotation? Obviously, you want Thibodeau out there as much as possible, but DJ Johnson, Yay Nay, Mace Funa, I think will be fine. I don't remember seeing an update about him. Um, Jackson, think, Swinson, where do you, who do you want to see the most out of these guys? Well, like you said, I mean, the, the easy answer is cave on. Um, Mace, I think, brings something unique because he's just a big dude who has that kind of uh, – he just generates power really well. Um, and so he's, you know, good at setting an edge and, and uh, containing a run game pretty well on that edge. Um, I think Braden has some real potential as a pass rusher uh, and really an all-around player, kind of a, you know, not, not quite Kayvon's level, but can maybe do some similar things. Mm-hmm. Um, he can be a game changer. Can. Yeah. So, so those the, are the difference th- is Kayvon is a game changer. <laughs> yeah. Every time. those are the th- those are the three I really like seeing at edge more than anyone. Um and Adrian Jackson uh is it kind of remi- reminds me of Devin Williams on the offensive side, a guy a guy who looks really good out there, um, but just never seems to get as many snaps as we think he would. Yeah. Um, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, but I do think edge edge. We've been hit hard on injuries, and we're finally coming back. And I think this defense has a chance to be really good uh, when we plug those pieces back in. Um, and I'll say, you know, the interesting thing in that same thing about who are Chris Ball's guys. A lot of these guys on the front of that D line uh, are Chris Ball's guys, but interestingly, they're getting a lot of play but they're probably a year away from where they really should be in terms of their physical development, both because of a lack of a real off season last year and just because they're not that old. Um, mm-hmm. You know, typically we see defensive lines comprised of fourth and fifth year guys with some third year guys, maybe a really special second year player. Um, and this, this group's a bit younger than that. It's a lot of third year guys and, and Dorless and Christian and Keon, um, and then a good bit of of you know Jason Jones is a second year guy, Suave Pochi is a second year guy, freshman under that, and Popo obviously is the you know elder statesman of the group, mm-hmm. um, and he's you know he he's played well as well. Um, but this is a group that's really showed out. It's been a testament to Coach Joe's recruiting philosophy on the defensive line targeting a specific body type guys that have been not maybe as highly rated uh as the recruiting we've done in other position groups but they performed really well and i think that this defensive line group would be getting even more praise if they had had some of those real bona fide pieces on the edge to complement them through this first five weeks of the season um so i like all these guys 
I think health has been the big story on the edge and getting mm-hmm. those guys back will do enough to improve this unit. The defensive line has is, is stayed strong, and I think everyone there is good. Jason Jones is a guy who I want to keep working in there because his body type, just that 6'6", 320, um, just something you don't see a lot outside of the southeast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so making that guy as good as possible has got to be a priority as well. Yeah, I think it's good that we're able to – I mean, obviously it's not good that we have injuries, but it's good that we can get some reps for some of these younger guys. Uh, on the edge, you know, Brandon Buckner. Um, yeah. We've seen yeah. a, a heavy dose of Trevin, uh, Trevin May, who's not that – or Maye, who's not that young. I mean, he's been on the team since 2019, but still technically a redshirt freshman, I believe. Maybe and again, on, in the trenches, you know, that is – kind of young i mean it's not yeah, super yeah. young but it's relatively like you know a lot of people a lot of teams don't play guys until uh you know their third fourth year um and even you look at georgia's defensive front um a lot of those guys had to wait their turn you know even at the big programs yes they play the young guys who are really special and they don't sacrifice talent but when they stack it on top of each other you got to wait your turn uh, and learn under guys, and then you come out and play um, and make the most of that opportunity. It's tough to convince a room full of literal college students to buy into that kind of thing. I yeah. mean, much less high school students, especially in this day and age with the transfer portal, and you see guys moving all over the place just because they don't think they'll have a spot. I mean, how do you think ISM feels right now? <laughs> dude, could be, dude could be still holding down a – an inside linebacker spot, you know, and still getting reps. So, yeah. Um, I think once people see the fruits of that labor and see a team like Georgia, that's really when it can click. Um, and we've seen how dominant Oregon's defense can be when we have all our ducks in a row, quite literally. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think people often forget how straight up dominant that defense was in the 2019 season. I mean, we didn't need to air it out with Justin Herbert because we we knew that other teams were really going to have to work to score points on us. Um, either way, though, I, I agree with your assessment. Um, Jake Shipley, another guy who's been getting getting snaps, even like Jaden Navarrete has been getting some. Obviously, like Christian Williams and Keon Warehudson have just been insane, uh, and they keep continuing to improve. I would like to see some Keanu Williams in the future. Um but, yeah, I, I think we have a pretty solid rotation going right now. Um, yeah. I'm very happy with how Doorless has progressed, not just been at the level that we expected, but been better than that. Popo as well. I mean, these are two guys who very easily, like, could have played up to what we expected, like, their level was last year. And they still would be pretty good. But they're consistently making big plays. Um, and again, especially in the damn horseshoe, man, like it's really weird that our best game of the season was in our hardest game of the season. I guess it's not really weird when I'd say it out loud, but I don't know. It, it's weird yeah. that that is the good anomaly so far this season in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. Linebacker, uh, Keith Brown kind of filling in as that second inside linebacker next to Sewell obviously Mm -hmm. um despite Sewell's numerous injuries this year he keeps staying out there um I imagine like he's a little bit banged up I mean obviously he's still playing so he's not injured but um 
We've seen Hukulani getting a lot. Hukulani, I'm never going to say that name right. We've seen Nate get a lot of snaps, obviously. Uh, Jeff Fossa has been, like, oscillating between safety and linebacker. Um, but even then, he hasn't been getting many reps. He's just been doing it in warm-ups for the most yep. part. Obviously, with Flo, Mathis, and LaDuke, who are all candidates for being in the rotation at this point, they're all out. Um, yeah. I believe LaDuke will be back for the Cal game. No, he's long term. No, no. So is Mathis. Yeah. Yeah. And Flo LaDuke's obviously out until at least late November, I think. Yeah. And Mathis, I think, is probably done for the season. That's the assessment on him. Yeah. Uh, and if we don't forget, I mean, <laughs> a lot of people forget about Drew Mathis because he's been injured since literally the first game of the season, but he started in that first game of the season. Um, it was sort of a similar situation with Flo and like how Kayvon got his starting job freshman year. Um, yeah. It's kind of, it was expected that they would take it over, but an injury forced them into action anyways. Obviously, yeah. Flo is... <laughs> a huge loss being back there. Um, he would probably be the starter by this point. Keith Brown's filled in pretty well, though, I think. And this was a guy who I've been talking up a lot. Uh, it's really good. In the same vein as the other guys, it's not really good that, you know, he's being forced into reps because of injury, but it is really good that he is getting a lot of reps. Was super impressive against Ohio State. Obviously has some growing pains to work through, but, I mean, he's no Noah Sewell. Nobody is, <laughs> except for Noah Zool. Um, Jabril McNeil, he's been getting some reps too. What's kind of your, like, too deep in the linebacking core? I'm curious. Does well, it I think this is kind of where Yeah. I mean, right now I think it's really a three-man three man rotation between uh, Noah Sewell, Keith Brown, and, and Nate Heukalani. I don't know yeah. why it's so hard we'll to pronounce Nate. Let me find um, Yeah. Uh, Hukalani, maybe it's – maybe I'm trying too hard. But um, anyways, I think it's those three. Uh, I think Jabril and Jeff Bossa have uh, just – they're not quite there yet. Both of them didn't start the camp as inside linebackers and had to make a switch there. Um, so maybe they'll get there later in the season. Uh, but for right now it's those three and Noah bona fide dude. Um, Keith Brown, that's a Cristobal recruit, obviously, but he's not a guy that Cristobal brings in envisioning he'll start as a true freshman. Right. Exactly. Um, and so, I mean, this this inside linebacker group has been brutal in terms of injuries. LaDuke was a guy that I think people didn't know his name, and a lot of people were going to learn it this year um, if he had stayed healthy. And unfortunately, he, he didn't get the opportunity to. Mm -hmm. um, Mathis was a very serviceable rotation dude who is now out, obviously. Um, and then Flo's the big one. Um, we had a question from from CFB Talk Daily, a uh, pretty uh, big Twitter account actually, twenty k yeah. followers. Um, so shout out, shout out to uh, them for following us. Uh, but they said, true or false, Bennett Williams has been the biggest loss of the season so far. I was I was gonna <laughs> I was gonna bring that up because I think he is. Um, Verdell is the easy answer, or even Flo maybe. Um, 
But I mean, we're talking about a guy who is fourth on the team in tackles. It's really, really hard to replace his specific position. Stepping in at a position that we thought was Jamal Hills coming into the year, obviously before uh, the stuff. Um, (laughs) Bennett Williams has been super impressive. Probably the most impressive guy on this defense so far relative to what we knew coming in. Is that safe to say? Um, I mean, the guy switched positions right before the season started. Yeah. Uh, So it'll be really tough to replace him. Obviously, Hill's done it before, but I mean, Williams has just been falling out this year. I think, yeah, I think I'd agree with that. I, I gotta go with Flo, man. Um, I, I definitely gotta go with Flo. Okay. Yeah, uh, that's that's how I see it. I think Flo. We didn't get to see enough of him, um, but I mean, people know from the star rating and just. In context, I understand flow because there's two yeah. other inside linebackers also out. Um, right, exactly. I yeah. think that I mean that's the big reason. And I think the drop off between flow and Keith Brown is is even though Brown's been playing really well at this point is still pretty sizable. Um and I mean Bennett Williams has been playing big time, uh, but he has a, a bona fide starter behind him. Uh, yeah. even though he's been playing better than that. Um, we are now yeah, one given the context star, of <laughs> I mean we're what? dipping into we're we're dipping yeah. into like some different personnel behind Jamal Hill from what we're used to. I, I think I mean yeah but we're 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 already there at, at linebacker. Yeah that's also true. <laughs> um do you want to kind of get into safety in corners then? Yeah, stars like basically in between there, and we just discussed that. So, um, may I was about to, oh, geez. So, I just mentioned Bennett Williams is maybe the best performer so far relative to our expectations for him. How about Verone McKinley, man? This dude's been a fucking stud this season. Uh, yeah, does he still lead the country in interceptions? Probably does. I haven't looked it up, but I mean, the dude's averaging like a pick a game. Um, been our best I think it's safe to say he's been our best defensive back overall um including McHale I think like yeah McHale's been great but I mean yeah Verone has been the actual anchor of this defense and probably the biggest leader on this defense um Steve Stevens been doing pretty well too at the other safety spot and this is a position where we actually do have some cushion is strict safety uh Jordan Happel back there Brian Addison is Brian Addison injured, or have I just not been hearing his name? Uh, no, I think he's the. I think he's still good. Scoop David's injured though. Yeah, yeah. that's unfortunate. He was a breakout potential breakout guy for sure. Yeah, that's a name we kept hearing over and over in uh, in fall camp. Trequez Bridges has been great at the other except corner for, position, um, except for the targeting. Stanford yeah. game. Yeah. Uh, Dante Manning has also been doing pretty well. He's a name we've been hyping up for a couple of years now. Um, DJ James, now that he's back, seems fine. Although it's really tough to evaluate corners, I think, when your game plan is to give up short passes. Yeah. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think this, I think this whole group is, is really solid. Um, but I think there's some tweaks even here that I see, you know, is this the best that Oregon's 
Oregon secondary is going to get in the coming years? No, I don't think so. Even with McHale um, and how good Verone's been playing, I think that uh, you still get kind of the depth that Oregon is going to have once these younger guys really settle in. Mm-hmm. Um, and they just, you know, start to – it just takes a while to – you know, balance out your roster and get to the point where every single year you say, okay, we're bringing in two really good corners and two really good safeties. And once you do that, then it's really hard for injuries to hurt you down the road. Um, and yeah. Oregon is, is starting to get in that cycle right now. It's still a little bit of mix and match. Um, and still technically eligibility wise, none of these guys are older than sophomores, uh, which yes. is pretty, pretty absurd thing to say. Um, Steve Stevens and uh, Verone obviously are, are the older dudes. Um, and I guess uh, both of them came in that 2018 class, I believe. Uh, yeah, they both did, which is kind of a tweener year. Um, because obviously that's the cycle where Chris Paul takes over in December of, of 2017 mm-hmm. and has to do an early signing period and a late sign and which was kind of before the early signing period was totally going crazy. And yeah. then obviously the main one in February. Um, and Chris Paul was already there before that, but he wasn't the head guy. So especially on defense, some of those guys are not, guys that he you know specifically targeted now Verone especially has worked out well and Steve's you know playing better this year and has stepped up um but I think there's another level of safety recruiting that Cristobal is working on now with Mm -hmm. this program um that I think will improve the overall quality in the secondary in years to come is what I'll say Okay. Uh, can you rank the, like, in your head or just speak it, can you rank, like, the three freshman quarter corners we brought in this year in terms of, like, what you perceive their upside to be right now? We've seen a little bit of these guys at some points, but some of them we haven't yet. Uh, Avante Dickerson, Darren Barkins, and Jalen Davies. Um, yeah, so I would say about these guys uh... – they all are kind of different. I think that Davies is the dude. He's from modern day, so he's a dog. He's a competitor. Um, the scouting report on him was that, you know, some people thought he would move over to safety because they didn't think he could hold up in man coverage as well. Mm-hmm. And he kind of responded to that, has, you know, um, was, I guess responded back to that claim and kind of stayed home stayed firm at at corner because he's a strong competitor and he's a dude anytime a guy comes from modern day and was a starter and big contributor there Instant you gotta dude. think that you know he's gonna be a dude um and i think he fits that bill i think he's a guy if we had to play one of those guys right now it's probably davies i think dickerson has a good chance to be the best of the bunch down the road um he's just a really talented dude uh who comes from Nebraska, so maybe not as much competition he's used to in high school, um, but he's going to be really good. And then Barkins is more of a project. Oregon really 
targeted him at a time when uh, a lot of scouting services and maybe other programs weren't as high on him. Um, but he tests really well. He's a really fast guy, really athletic. And I think that Rod Chance is going to, you know, grind with Parkins for a while. And I think he's a type of guy where you're, you're probably going to forget about him for a few years, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then come 2023, 2024, even he's going to pop up back on the scene. And we're going to say, Oh yeah, that guy, there's that guy. And then he's going to step out and he'll probably, you know, maybe he delivers a year. That's a all conference type performance. Um, once he develops into his own and, and he's playing alongside, you know, a higher rated guy maybe, but he's holding his own. So that's how I'd say those three break up. But I think you bring in those three guys and, you know, you kind of have the best of both worries. You have a guy in Davies who, you know, his floor is pretty high. He's competed mm-hmm. at a very high level um, and held his own. Uh, and then you have a guy like Dickerson who's, you know, projects to be really good. And you got a guy um, in Barkins who, you know, you can hold in the program for a while and he, he's going to stay here. He's not going to get angsty about playing time probably. And, and eventually he has the potential to be a really, really special player as well. There's one position group that uh, we haven't covered yet. Kicker. Kicker. Um, do you want to? Do you want to do the kicker thing? Uh, not really. Um, okay. Cam's played. We don't need to. Cam's, Cam's played well so far, uh, and I think you can read between the lines and say that you know if he took over the starting spot from. Cattlemen, based on how they performed in game last year, he must have done something pretty special in camp uh, to warrant that and or Cattlemen struggled. Uh, And he seems to have solved it. And honestly, I think that kicking is such a mental game. You go in as a freshman in college, who knows uh, how it goes. You want to talk about returners at all, though? I do. Yeah, yeah. I do have an opinion on that. I do not want Mikhail Wright returning kicks. I'm sorry for the people who really want to see that. Like, I'm truly sorry. You do not want your number one corner returning kicks. That's a good way to lose your number one corner. Um, Yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Put Micah back there. He had a pretty good punt return. Um, Put seven back there, for Christ's sake. Like, I don't care. Just don't put Mikhail back there. It scares me. Um, Yeah, Yeah. that's all I got. I'm assuming your thoughts are similar or maybe you don't care as much. Yeah, no, no, that's all I've got to, uh, I just want to in general, just kind of recap my thoughts a bit is the defense. I see the issue being more health and availability. Mm -hmm. Um, and the defense has still been pretty good. They haven't lost us games really. Um, except for that one drive that I would argue (laughs) was the fault of another set of people wearing striped (laughs) shirts. Uh, (laughs) And then on the offensive side, yeah, I think there's room to complain about some of the decisions on the offensive side. Um, And just quarterback with Ben over uh, running back, there's opportunity to play young guys. Uh, offensive line is what it is and it's going to be a lot better in a few years and then receiver we're just in a weird limbo position where um, 
we got it. We got eight good guys, like I keep saying, and but we don't have a real set of starters, and we need to get one if we're gonna be um, elite. Really elite. Yeah. Wow, look at that. Uh, last thing I want to say on offensive line too. Um, something that was brought up on the Conference of Champions podcast, which is a great Pac-12 podcast. If you haven't listened to it. Um, like it's kind of a thing for a while now that people who've been watching football for a long time think that you need like, or you should have five dudes on your offensive line who like, these are your five starters and you want them to be consistent and play the entire year and stuff like this. Uh, and, you know, make mold themselves into a great unit. Like we had in 2019, even then we rotated like a guy out in and out. Mario is very, very content in rotating this entire lineup. It's pretty clear by now that this is not like an availability or a reps thing. It's just like a, well, I guess it is a reps thing in terms of we are going to give everybody reps. Um, so, yeah, I like, I, I'm okay with the offensive line rotation. I don't think it destroys our continuity or anything like that. And if I did think that, I would no, have no way of validating it. So that's all I got. Um, <laughs> Any anything else you'd like to say before we sign off? No, I think I think we ranted uh, about this team for a good long while, and it hopefully provided some quality analysis as well. You want to do any other chat like Pac-12 or national or anything like that? Maybe throw a few oh, games out there. Oh, uh, Yeah. Stanford yeah. ASU is tomorrow night. If ASU wins this game, the Ducks still control their own destiny. This is a technicality because unless you believe Stanford's running the table, then we still control our own destiny. But um, yeah, could be interesting. I'll, I don't know about you. I'll certainly be rooting for the Sun Devils. Um, Red, Red River is going to be awesome. Yeah, wait. So we we got to make our picks. What are we doing? We got to make our Pac-12 picks here. Okay, Pac-12 picks first. Speed mode, yeah. Okay, let's go through it. Arizona State, Stanford, what do you say? Uh, I believe it's 13. 13? Oh, that's so many. <sighs> ASU, I think they'll cover. I do. That if they cover, I'm starting to get worried about ASU. They actually look good. Um, yeah, oh, uh, I'll take Stanford to cover, but ASU to win. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, uh, go ahead. I don't have beeves, that me. Give me beeves th- minus three and a half. Bevo's all the way, baby. Beeves. Hashtag rank the beeves. <laughs> yeah, they should be ranked. It's kind of atrocious that they're not by now. Um, again, that's OSU minus three and a half on the road against Wazoo. I'm on that same train. Give me the beeves. Uh, USC, Utah. USC hosting Utah. I want to say the Trojans are favorite, but I don't have it in front of me. Uh, but I have it right here. They're they're Trojans by three. It's been a long time since you since Utah won in the Coliseum. They historically don't do very well there. Uh, about two thirds of the public money's on USC on this spread. Uh, I just I have a feeling Utah's going to win this game, man. I can't explain it, but I. I just have a feeling on this one. I'm going to take Utah against my gut or maybe with uh, my gut against my brain. I don't know how that yeah. works. 
I guess I'll go. I won't. Uh, yeah, screw it. I'll go Utah too, just because I hate USC. It's a good reason. Um, it's a good reason. Yeah, Arizona. Uh, I'm taking Arizona minus sixteen against, against UCLA. UCLA. Dude, me too. <laughs> or plus sixteen. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> they're doing a they're doing a whiteout, and both home games this year so far they've worn white. And they're not wearing white for the whiteout. They're wearing blue. Um, wow. That doesn't affect the spread or anything. That just needed to be said. Also, this is uh, Avery from from the No Truck Stops pod, which Reed will be making a, a guest appearance on, or at least his words will. Um, so <laughs> check, yeah. check that out next week. This is Avery's, um, God, what is it called? Uh, bad Vibes Game Bad of the Vibes week. Game of the Week, yeah. Super bad, bad vibes. She's three and zero on bad vibe, bad vibes games, or should I say favorite? Famously oh, sealed great. our fate last week. Yeah, man, Arizona's going to win this game, aren't they? Not just cover, but <laughs> win. I'll take it. I wonder what the money is on that. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do some googling after this is over. Okay. You want me to r- run through some other big games? Yeah, I feel like we're missing a game, but we're not. Um, yeah, Red Rivers. One of the biggest, but honestly, this Penn State-Iowa game, man, that's going to be something else. Yep, yep. Those are the two I have circled. I believe uh, Iowa is a three-point favorite at home for that. Kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, I think it's gone down to one and a half is what I see it Ooh. at. Um, are you are you thinking the turnover fairy is going to continue to bless the Hawkeyes, or is it Penn State's time to put them in their place? It could, man. It definitely could. I, I think. I think. I think Penn State takes it close. Uh, yeah. How about Michigan? Uh, Michigan. How about Michigan by a field goal at Nebraska? This is the this is the stinkiest line of them all. Is what they're saying. Um, yeah, seventy percent of public is on Michigan for this. I don't know. I think that's just because the last time Nebraska was on TV, they got beat by Illinois. They've been good in the past, what's it been, five, six weeks since then? Uh, I believe they have. They really zero. have. Yeah. Um, know, I'm ha- having a hard time staying off of uh, Scott Frost there, but we'll see. He likes to work in the shadows, not in prime time. Do you have any any kind of fear at all about your uh, your Georgia Bulldogs? No. No. Gone. Going to Auburn, no. Georgia defense versus Bo Nix. Don't care how good he was against LSU. It's what versus a, Georgia. What about Arky, uh, Arkansas versus Ole Miss? Yeah, this game was looking a lot sexier a week ago, wasn't it? Uh, before both of these teams <laughs> got pounded by by better teams. I, I'm kind of leaning Ole Miss. The spread's five and a half, and it's in Oxford. I think, I think it'll be a really good game, but. Kind of sucks. I don't know if with them. Yeah, I don't know which. I feel like Arkansas out of these two teams had a little more hype to them and a little less substance, which is ironic because they have the better resume. But yeah, yeah, I, I think yeah. I think I'd take Ole Miss on that line. Um, uh, let's see what else. Like, Bama Texas A and M is a funny game that we all had circled right, going in, right. but I mean. You know, what are the odds there at this point? Uh, Notre Dame also even uh, versus Virginia Tech at Virginia Tech. 
and a chance there for for a big for an upset that would knock Notre Dame, you know, out of the playoff effectively. Also, BYU Boise State is one to look at. Boise State two and three. We know Andy Avalos well, but uh, six only only uh, six point underdogs traveling to BYU, and BYU is a real threat to make some noise in the New Year six, if not the playoff, depending on how funky. Yeah, this year gets. BYU. Yeah, yeah. Um, LSU only. I don't plus even know three. if they're favorites. I think they're champs at this point. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, they've beaten all the favorites. LSU yeah. plus three at Kentucky. Uh, Kentucky is five and zero. Oh. They've won three SEC games. LSU three and two. They just lost to Auburn at home. This is a make it or break it game for Coach O. I think. I don't know. I'm, I'm having a hard time getting off the Wildcats, but LSU really, really? Could they lose this game? I mean, they're favored to lose this game, but do you really think they're going to do it? It's hard to see. Will we be seeing three and three LSU next week or four and two LSU? I don't know. Also, I don't know if you've watched any of Kentucky, but I like Kentucky. They're kind of cool. Gives Georgia another ranked win. So later. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that's kind of it for good matchups. Yeah. You know what's funny? Uh, Mich- watch Michigan State lose to Rutgers. <laughs> as soon as yeah. they get a sniff at the top 10, they're going to lose to Rutgers. Who Rutgers yeah. isn't terrible this year. Uh, they played Michigan close. Any other, any other games you want to see? Or is it uh, time to say goodnight? I think it's time to say goodnight. Um, we haven't really figured out what our recording schedule will be after these after these games, but you know we'll we'll get back to y'all one way or another, probably on the other or sometime this weekend. So yeah, probably Sunday. Probably get back yeah. to our main stuff, but again, we'll see. Um, thanks for hanging with us, though. Check us out at Ducks Pod on Twitter. Um, if you want to submit a question or just get our reactions to something or just scream into the void. Twitter's good for that too. Um, rate us five stars, please. And thank you on Apple podcasts. If you don't tell us why and uh, we'll fix it. So you do. And yeah, have a, have a good weekend, you know, have a nice stress-free still football filled weekend. The way God intended it. <laughs> Anything else? No, I think that's it. All right. Peace. Go Ducks. Go Ducks.